welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. If, as always, if you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, it is my honor to sit down with Henry, Henry Doss, entrepreneurship coach, personal finance coach, and author of the amazing book, FQ Financial Intelligence. Henry, hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Yuri. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. So in, in general, how are things in your neck of the woods? Well, uh, yeah, we've been hunkered down since March. Uh, I'm in the New Jersey, New York area. So we were, uh, you know, we were ground zero for a while there, but it's been, um, you know, it's loosened up. Uh, I, could, I just, I gauge it by the traffic. So for a while there, there was no traffic at all. It was a pleasure. It was actually really nice. Uh, and the traffic is slowly creeping back. There's starting to be a rush hour again. So I take that as a good sign. Yeah. But everybody's wearing their masks. People are social distancing. None of that hubbub that's going on in the rest of the world. You know, we get it. We, we're used to living in close quarters. Uh, yeah, well-covered territory. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know what you mean. I was I was in Boston earlier today, and you're right. When the when everything happened, uh, it was fantastic because I had to go into the city. It was 20 minutes, no traffic. Uh -huh. Even today, there was a little bit of rush hour coming out of the city, but still going in like 40 minutes from where I live, which was less yeah less than half of of what my normal commute would have been. So. Yeah. At least something is interesting is happening. Yeah, there's some. I'm I'm looking forward to traffic coming back. That means things are getting better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Seems counterintuitive, but I'll go with it. Yeah. Why not? I, I love it. So, so for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Oh, how do I describe myself? So, um, my primary avocation as an is as an entrepreneurial coach. So, I started my first business in '91. So, I've been in business working for myself for 30 years. The last uh, eight, nine, 10, I've kind of lost count of it. Uh, I've taken all my entrepreneurial experience. I married that with some you know, formal coach training that I did for a year and hung up a shingle as an entrepreneurial coach. So yeah. that's, my, that's like my main tentpole. Then uh, I wrote this book, FQ Financial Intelligence. I wrote it as a course. I had, I, you know, it was like a big, hairy, audacious goal uh, was to, to impart my knowledge to the world. Um, I wrote it as a course. Then people told me, you should make this a book. So I spent a year, that was a huge project, self-publishing a book, a lot more than I thought uh, it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so I published it as a book, which I, I give away for free because the only one who makes money off of books is Jeff Bezos and he's already got enough. Um, <laughs> and I run some curated mastermind groups. And since yours is kind of a, an, an artsy crowd, I'm also a screenwriter. I've written 11 screenplays. So, um, 
So I do that and I integrate a lot of storytelling and such into my, my coaching and pretty much all the things that I do. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you're very prolific. How do you, this is not how I usually start these conversations, but like, so what does your typical day look like? How do you do what you do so well in so many areas. <laughs> I'm thinking of like, you know, how do you do that voodoo? That, that's like Hedley Lamar from, yeah, uh, <laughs> from Blazing Saddles. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I was asked that a while ago on a podcast because I do a lot of podcasts. And, uh, and I said, I don't have a typical day. And that's exactly how I want it. Yeah. Um, every day, one of the primary reasons I became an entrepreneur. I mean, I worked in cubicle world for, for, um, for 10 years, for most of the, the 80s. Uh, I graduated college in 81. So yeah, for that whole decade, I worked in a little six by nine cubicle in a, in a, in a filing cabinet office building in lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I, I know that. That's, that ain't for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean I'm completely unstructured. I'm actually, I'm an engineer electrical engineer engineers have a particular um particular you know way they go about doing things and it tends to be highly structured yeah but i also uh i also have a lot a lot a lot of of interests and so the rhythm of the day so we'll look at today as a as a simple example so i'm up at seven o'clock in the morning i do my pre-market homework because i'm a trader so i'm trading the markets I have a whole ritual that I do before the market opens at 9.30. Um, and then I have, you know, you, can probably, you don't have the video on, but you can see it back behind me. I've got, you know, charts and different stuff like that. And that's running all day, but it's kind of running like in the background because yeah. I'm not a day trader. Um, keeping a crooked eye on that. I do that. And then I had a coaching call and I had a podcast and then I had a Zoom call with a, um, uh, a VA uh, hiring a couple of VAs to do some stuff for me. So I had an hour zoom call with her client call. And, uh, and then I went to the driving range to hit some balls, you know, before it gets cold up here. And then I came back and I'm doing this. Yeah. Excellent. There I ate lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> if I recall. Right, right, right. All right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a very, very full day. So, so Let's start from the beginning. Electrical engineering. What mm -hmm. initially made you want to study electrical engineering? Um, two, two, two reasons. Mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to study electrical engineering. I did not want to be an engineer. Yeah. Um, my dad was a chemical engineer. My mom was a school teacher. They were, uh, well, not my father so much, but my mother was a classic depression baby straight out of central casting and as the you know primary caregiver a lot of um, a lot of that early stuff was uh, you know early experiences were uh, were hers right scarcity mindset the first chapter of my book the psychology mm -hmm. of money I talk about scarcity mindset I, mindset I even talk about my mom in that and their their approach was be an engineer they always they're always in demand you'll always get a good job. I wanted to be a political science major. My cousin um, Georgie is a was a political science professor at Princeton. He's a, he's retired now emeritus. And it's like, yeah, I want to be like Georgie. I want to be. They're like, you're never going to make any money. Georgie doesn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Georgie. I hope he's not listening. Georgie's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. He writes books like yeah. I, you know, like, like I did, um, and he teaches people and he imparts his wisdom. He's an amazing person. Uh, 
So I did the four years of electrical engineering, which was incredibly difficult because mm-hmm. I got through high school on pure brain power, but I was really good at math, you know, did, did good at all that stuff. It's right in my wheelhouse, but man, that was a lot of work. Yeah. I have to tell you, but I'm glad I did it in four years, right? I got three kids. My oldest took five years to graduate. My middle one took four and a half. My youngest is a sophomore at Utah. I said, I don't care what you do, do it in four years. <laughs> Prove that it can be done by one of the DOS boys. It's all on you. You're, you're wearing the mantle of graduating in eight semesters. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So, so let's, you mentioned it already, kind of your, your days in a cubicle in the 80s. But I see on your LinkedIn that you're, you had engineer at Honeywell, system analyst. Yep. So what was that like being, let's say, an engineer at Honeywell in, in the 80s? And what made you want to do that? Or at least, let's say, you know, 10 I did years that for the life. money. I graduated. Okay. Um, I went to Bucknell University in Lewisburg, PA. Yeah. And I applied for this job, and it was a uh, it was a field tech job for nineteen thousand dollars a year, and a car. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. And nineteen thousand dollars, people look at it now, and like that's the equivalent of about a fifty thousand dollar a year job. Right. Right. So that was that was a good gig, and I had to take all these tests. And then they offered me a better job, a systems analyst job at $21,000 a year. And I looked at them and I said, but it doesn't come with a car. (laughs) (laughs) I can't afford a car for 2000 bucks, but it was a better, it was a better job. And Mm -hmm. I was building engineering systems uh, in their building controls. That's how I learned to program a computer through Honeywell. They sent me out to Minnesota. I spent about four months there. I learned how to how to uh, become a programmer. And then I went and I worked for a subsidiary of the New York Stock Exchange building trading systems, which was great because I love the markets. And now I'm actually trading the systems that the guys use to trade the markets. Mm-hmm. And that was a nice, well-paying job too. It's like, yeah, this is good. I like it. Yeah, great. So what was it? And again, I'm, I'm, you're listed as the principal and co-owner and founder of a lot of companies. Right. But at what point... Were you like, listen, I'm, I'm tired of working for somebody and now I want to start my own company and, and be the person in charge? Oh, I was probably 12 when, when <laughs> I was that. I was cutting lawns and, 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 uh, and doing windows. I had my first W-2 job when I was 15 at a pancake house at 220 an hour. I saved 3,000 bucks in a year at 220 an hour. That's not easy to do. No. Um, I, I, my whole family is... Um, doctors, lawyers, business owners. It's just what I saw. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. But I also knew enough that I could get, I could use corporate America as a free training ground. So gotcha. a lot of your listeners are probably in that situation where it's like, Hey, this is great. They're going to spend a lot of money to train me. I can learn how businesses work. Um, but I always knew that I was going to hang up my own shingle and get into business for myself. It was just a question of when the opportunity arose. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And then, so with that, did you, your first company, did you come up with the idea? Did you meet some people? What was it that you were like, listen, this is for sure what I want to start with. It was what uh, I'm writing a new book now, a business book. So I wrote a book about money, but now I'm writing a big book called Codfish, which is about business, how to start a business, how to run a business, how to exit a business. Pretty much the analogous to FQ in the sense it's like everything I know about business over the last uh, 30 years. So there are two distinct origin stories to businesses. One I call an accidental business or 
or um, opportunistic is probably a better word for it. Uh, and then the other one is a purpose, purposeful business where you sit down, write a business plan, you say, I'm gonna do this. I see a crack in the market as one of my clients, um, he uses the term crack. I look for little cracks and I'm going to exploit that. So the first one was an accidental business. College friend of mine worked for a leasing company. He was leasing computers to in Manhattan to Fortune 500 companies. He needed to find a whole bunch of Macs and nobody really dealt in Macintosh computers then. It was all PC, PC, PC in corporate America. Um, he couldn't find them. I said, let me, take a, let me take a crack at it. And so I did. I went out, retail, gray market, put it together. And then he kept feeding me deals. A year and a half later, I'd done $600,000 worth of business. And I turned to my wife and I said, uh, this is a real business. I'm going to quit my six, now $60,000 a year job with its gold-plated uh, benefits. Um, and I'm going to start a shop. Mm -hmm. And then a month later, that guy who was feeding me deals became my partner. And we never looked back. Yeah. Great. So when... It's, and it, so it sounds like you had, I guess, a natural plan with this and you didn't just kind of quit one and start the other. But did the idea of like, was there some, some any kind of uncertainty or fear for your first step into this and out of the corporate world that was kind of eating at you in any kind of way? Or were you like, mm, yeah, never look mm, back? So mm, what, what was that like and how did you... The, 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 the not fear was yeah. the smaller set out of that one. <laughs> oh, Yeah. It's like, what am I made $12,000 that first year. It's mm -hmm. like, what am I doing? This sucks. This is really hard. Uh, we're bootstrapping this. It was, believe me, I was plagued with doubts early yeah. on. And that's very common. There's a little voice in your head saying, dude, you, you, you messed up, right? You had it. You were on easy street. You had this nice little job. One little problem. I hated it, hated what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. I loved being an entrepreneur, even though it was enormously difficult. And my philosophy is really simple. You can get more of anything, and I wrote about it in the book. Uh, you can get more of anything. Time is the one thing you will never get any more of. You are going to get what you get. Yeah. So think about how you're going to use this, right? I have something I call the 100-hour week. You basically... I won't bore you with it. Read the book. I give it away for free. Basically, you have about 100, after you get rid of sleeping and eating and bathing and all the mandatory stuff, you've got 100 hours of discretionary time mm -hmm. during the week. How are you going to use that? You're going you're gonna to commute an hour each way and then spend 40 hours at a job you don't like? That's 50% of your life, right? So when you right. start looking at it that way, it's like, well, I, I'm, 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 uh, I got to focus on doing stuff that I want to do mm -hmm. and making money while I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point then after you've done all these companies, did you decide coach entrepreneurship coach and, and financial coach is what you wanted to pivot into or how did that come about? Well, I turned 50, so I'm 61 now. So I okay. turned 50 uh, we moved, we sold our money pit of a house. Both of our mothers died. Uh, this was uh, 2010, 2011. Um, and I sort of hit that midlife. That's actually, you know, I don't think I'll live to be 100. But let's just say I hit this sort of midlife pivot point. Like, okay, what's the second act, mm -hmm. right? What is my second act going to be? That's when I sat down 
and created a purposeful business pretty much for the first time in my life. I said, what do I want? I want to be location independent. Um, I will be an empty nester. We're empty nesters now, although everybody's back because of the COVID, but that's a temporary thing. Um, I don't want to have an office in New York City for $10,000 a month rent, right? I don't want all of these things, yeah. right? So there's a whole list of don'ts and a whole list of, yeah, this is what I want, and a whole list of things that I could take it or leave it. Um, and then when I step back, I said, you know what? I've been coaching people anyway, pretty much pro bono for years. Let's see what that's all about. I mean, I wasn't 100% sure that it was going to stick. I mean, there are always doubts. But then once I got in it and once I got that first client, it's like, you know, it, this is not a hobby. This is a business. This is real. People are paying me real money for my expertise. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. So how did you actually, let's get that one. Let's talk about your, your book, financial F FQ financial intelligence. Yeah, so let's you, do that. Yeah, you talked about a little bit about how it was a it was a course first and then turned into a book. So what did you develop that course for first? <laughs> okay. So I was at a conference in Bangkok sitting with a bunch of other coaches talking about how to do group coaching. Mm -hmm. Right? Of all the business models in the world, trading time for money is probably the worst one. Right? Just think about it. You can't scale. You're limited. Right? right? Unless you're going to charge a thousand dollars an hour like a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um uh and I don't think they're worth anywhere near that, but that's a story for another day. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's inefficient, but if you can do group coaching, um, then you can get some scalability. Um, I like working one-on-one -on -one, and even with my, with my financial stuff, I work one-on-one, -on -one. but I said, okay, I, I've always had this goal of writing a, um, a program to teach people my, my philosophy of money. Yeah. And I think it's very different than a lot of the cookie cutter stuff that you see out there. Very much a contrarian, uh, very much a researcher. I dive deeply into things. I don't skim along the surface. Um, and so I came, so after that conference, I came home, I wrote a 18 chapter uh, table of contents and I started writing. And 50 days later, I'd written 96,000 words. And I had my course and then I got a dozen volunteers. I set up zoom chats and, and all sorts of stuff with them. And I went through the program with them. And then just as I was ready to launch, a few people said, Hey, Henry, this would make a really good book. You should publish this. And that's where it took me down that year long rabbit hole of hiring a copy editor and a designer and having all these I have 250 infographics. I had to get them all converted. So they would print. I never thought I would ever print this thing. Um, so that was a whole big thing. And again, with the idea of being group coaching, although now the way I do it is I still do it one-on-one -on -one like I do the entrepreneurial coaching. Mm -hmm. Eventually, once I achieve critical mass and get a following and become a, you know, I'm making air quotes while I do this, can't see the video, a <laughs> thought leader or whatever, yeah. then I'll grow into the, the group coaching um, experience for people. Uh, but for now, you read the book and I'll teach it to you. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you mentioned you have some contrarian ideas about finance and mm -hmm. I know everybody listening to this podcast, myself included, uh, would are always in interested in financial, let's say tidbits. So right. what are, what are some of your, fi let's say financial contrarian ideas and, and the, I guess the basics that you cover in your book? Um, 
there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, one that jumps out at me is this idea of the social safety net, social security. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote um, chapter 17 is called Deader Than Disco. And it's all about the stuff that you, uh, that you got to do at end of life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, wills, DNRs, all that stuff. If you think that you're that the government is somehow going to bail you out for your poor planning, you got another thing coming through, right? They talk all about social security and Trump is trying to eliminate social security and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like if you maxed out, if you put the maximum amount of social security, right? There's a cap on it as to, right. as to how high it goes from the time you're 22 years old until 65. That is a lot of money. And that 22 year old money has three times the buying power that it does now. Mm -hmm. So you've put a boatload of money into this system. And if you max out, you're gonna get um, 3,800 bucks a month or something like that. That's maximum and very few people do that. Yeah, I, I get the thing from social security that says, cause I'm 61, I can collect, I think it's 66 in four months cause they've indexed it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's about 2,500 bucks a month. I don't want to sniff at that. And it's taxable. Yeah. Right? I don't want to say, oh, 2,500 bucks. But in the New York metropolitan area, you can't live on that. Right. Are you kidding me? It's like, so I don't even know what, I, what I'm going to do. I mean, I've, I've planned way ahead of that. So I have no idea. I don't need that money. I don't have to collect social security. I really yeah. don't. And I don't, I don't know if I ever will. Um, and that's a blessed place to be, but that's my point in the book. It's like, mm -hmm. you should get to the point where that don't even matter anymore. Mm -hmm. You are financially intelligent. You're financially independent. You are the kind of the ruler of your own domain, your financial domain. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm striving for. That's part of it. Right. So I think that's a bit contrarian because every time I talk about rolling it back, yeah, I understand there are there are uh, you know, 50 million people in this country living below the poverty line, which is 28 grand a year for a family of four. I mean, that's a small amount of money. Right. Um, anyway, so that's, that's one little thing from the book. Okay. Okay, excellent. So I also, again, behind you are, there's a lot of uh, trading screens. So <laughs> yeah. um, do you, do you, cover your trading philosophy in, in the book? And or oh, even yeah. if not, like what's your, what's your basic trading philosophy since you said you're not a day trader? Well, there are four times, there are four kinds of traders that I describe in the book. There's day okay. traders, scalp traders, get in in the morning, out in the afternoon, mm -hmm. right? Never hold a trade overnight, right? It's too expensive to hold a trade overnight. Uh, second thing would be a swing trader. So a swing trader looks for, uh, looks to chop something out of the channel. Maybe we buy on a, on a Thursday and we'll sell in two weeks. There's no real time frame there, but it's a short-term trade. Mm -hmm. You're looking for imperfections. Something's been oversold. Something's been overbought. And you're trying to make a short-term profit. I'm, a, I'm the third one, which is a position trader. So I'll find something I like. I'll establish a position. And I have rules for how you do all this. Mm -hmm. um, what I call 2%, 6% rule. So if you have a million dollars in your portfolio, no stock should, should, should be less than 20 grand, but you can leg in. You don't have to buy it all in the first, first uh, tranche. Yeah. And it shouldn't be higher than 60 grand. That, that forces a level of diversity to diversify your portfolio. You don't have all your eggs in one basket. You have your eggs in a bunch of baskets, right? Mm -hmm. And then the final one would be the buy and hold, which is like, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to hold it till I die. 
Right. Um, and people have done that strategy and done quite well. Um, I can't argue with it, but if you mm -hmm. buy the wrong stuff, uh, yeah, you're in, you're in some trouble. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Are there particular sectors that you like and focus on and spend more of your time yeah. in? I'm always overweight pharma. I have been for 30 years. Yeah. It's not, wouldn't be surprising if 30% uh, on any given day, and it, and it is now, is in pharma. Why? Mm -hmm. Healthcare and the system. Healthcare in the system in the U.S. is broken. I, I think it's what I call BBR, broken beyond repair. Mm -hmm. um, there's no rhyme or reason to how any of these things are done. There's an opacity in the pricing that's, that's mind-boggling. I'm a type 2 diabetic. Mm -hmm. So my insurance company pulled a drug that I was taking, an injectable drug, uh, because it was too expensive. Uh, they said, you have to fail on two other drugs. But I could buy the drug for a quarter of the price from a Canadian pharmacy, <laughs> right? It's the same right. brand. It's not even a, a, a generic. It's the same right. brand of drug. In what world does that make any sense? Um, so though the imperfection of the system is one of the things that makes it so profitable, as much as I hate to say it, um, as long as they're making outsized profits, I want a piece of that, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm overweight tech now. I've been overweight tech, you know, just for a little while. Um, I jumped a it back in that waterfall decline. I started really not even nibbling, but taking, you know, big bites. I've owned Apple for a long time. Mm -hmm. but I started biting some of the other stuff because um, it's just gone kind of par parabolic. Yeah. Uh, I want to have a part of that. But I invest in stodgy old industrial companies and dividend payers. Uh, I avoid the flavor of the month. I think Snowflake went um, public today. Yeah. 120 pre-market went off at like 250. No, 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 no. Let's wait. You know, I'm sure there'll be tons of money to be made mm -hmm. in the short term. Uh, I don't need that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, one of the phrases I use is I, I believe in get rich slow schemes. So <laughs> I'm okay with that. I know for having traded for 40 years, I bought my first stock when I was in high school. Mm -hmm that you can make money this way. Um, Overtrading is bad. I mean, yeah. just, just be patient and, and look for the, the real market pivot points. Um, you were talking about the contrarian thing. I write a buy, buy month, twice a month newsletter. And mm -hmm. so I wrote about, uh, you know, my, my uh, followers were asking me to cover the stock market. So I said, I cover the stock market. And how, how come it's gone parabolic uh, since, the COVID. Yeah. And I said very bluntly, I said, you're not going to like um, what I have to say, but the market doesn't care. The market doesn't care that 40 million people lost their job. The market doesn't care that, you know, thousands of businesses are going to go bankrupt. It doesn't care that the GDP was down 30%. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't care. It's not an important driver to the market. That's very sobering for people. And it's, it's, it's terrible. It's awful because we're talking about people's lives, but that's how markets work. They're, they're pretty agnostic. They don't, they don't have, they don't have emotions. They don't care. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's a great thing to, to point out. Too. You would never hear somebody on the airwaves say <laughs> that the market doesn't care that 40 million people, it's quite the contrary. It is. Um, they're going to say it's awful. And how can the market do this? And it's because the market doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The market does what it does. Um, also, what's your favorite chapter 
in your book? If you had to just like pull out one. Uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 15. It's called Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Uh, <laughs> it's all about stupid ways to lose your money. Everything from, from NL, uh, uh, you know, uh, multi-level marketing to Ponzi schemes to the lottery <laughs> to, you know, you name it. Just all of the massively stupid things to avoid mm-hmm. uh, for you to, you know, that, that will just cost you tons of money. <laughs> right? uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I even said it. I said, this is my favorite. This is the one I was really looking forward to, to mm-hmm. writing. And there are just scores of, I probably barely scratched the surface on all the scams and things that are out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So as, as someone in finance, what's your thought on what's happening with uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? I know a lot of folks, uh, Bob, you know what, you've, since, since you asked, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my little, my little Bitcoin story. Sure. So I guess it was two years ago, I was in Austin at a conference and I did a talk about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, all young people, um, about 40 people in the room. And so I did a deck and I put up a chart and this was right after it had gone up to 20,000 and then fallen back to earth. Okay. So I don't remember when that was, April of 18, something like that. Yeah. So I put the chart up, but I didn't identify what it was. And I asked the people, anybody who's, who's seen a chart before? Well, like one and a half hands, one went up and one kind of went halfway up to say that, that they've seen a chart before. I said, who can identify this financial instrument? Nobody had a clue. Mm-hmm. So then I popped the little Bitcoin thing on there. And then I asked how many people are invested in Bitcoin or one of their brethren, you know, Ethereum or any one of those ICOs, anything along that line, 90% of the hands went up. Right. So all I could do is just shake my head. It was mm-hmm. like, so you're trading this stuff or investing in this stuff, but you've never seen a chart before. I mean, a chart isn't everything. I could, I could say the chart's the only thing, but when it comes to trading something for entry and exit points, if you're trying to do that without a chart, I don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm at heart a fundamental trader. I look at the fundamentals of all of the things that I trade and I use the charts to tell me when to get in and when to get out. But I know guys who couldn't care less what the underlying instrument is. The chart tells them everything. Mm-hmm. They'll tell them volume, volume at price. They're looking at... Um, you know, Macy D histograms, which is, you know, every, every trader uses, they're looking at other, other types of variables. Everybody has a different setup, um, moving averages, whatever it might be. Um, that's how you trade. Yeah. So how could you trade tri- Bitcoin without, without really knowing these things? Right. Right. I just, it, to me, it was head scratching. <laughs> it, re- it really was because it's just another financial instrument no different than coffee futures or the 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 e-mini mm-hmm. uh gold right they all trade in patterns they all do they're all out even randomness is a pattern as i like to say it's all out there mm-hmm. if you learn how to how to use these things are they inviolate or you know can they sometimes give you full false signals you bet People say you can't time the market, Henry. It's like your job, your only job is to time the market. <laughs> Every time you go long on something, you're timing the market because you think it's going to go up. Yeah. Right. That's timing the market. Where you fall down is when it reverses and you don't know enough to get out and manage your risk. 
say, oop, I was wrong. I'm going to eat this one. And then you double down on it until you're completely broke. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you don't know when uh, the bloom is off the rose and it's like, okay, it's time to take some profits here. Right. I've been telling my, my flock for the la almost the last two months that sentiment's too high, sentiment's too high. Right. If you have profits to take, you should take them. Nobody ever went broke taking a profit. You know, all those things, all those millions of, of idioms. Right. Right. Take profits when they present themselves. <laughs> well, Henry, when do they present themselves? That's up to you as the trader and the investor to, to, to figure out what speaks to you. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you that. I can teach you what indicators to look for. You got to decide. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to miss the big up move. Did you make money? Yeah. Well, stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Do you cover, I guess, the, you know, how to look at charts, analyze charts in, oh, yeah. In, yeah, your, whole, in your book? Yeah. I have a whole, cha I have a chapter on, um, Fundamental trading, uh, I talk about, you know, all the basic stuff, you know, what, what's a PE ratio, right? Uh, what are indexes about? I don't say nice things about indexes either. Again, you know, like I told you, I'm a contrarian. Right. People say, ah, oh, just put money in an index fund. It's like, how do I say this nicely? That's just dumb, right? <laughs> don't, don't, don't drink that Kool-Aid, mm -hmm. right? It's just, read about it in my book, right? Okay. Do the work. There, it's not hard. You don't need more than fifth grade arithmetic, maybe mm -hmm. fourth grade to do. There's nothing really fancy math wise about how to, how to do things in the stock. But going back to chapter one, psychology of money, I could teach you to be a, a really, really good stock trader, but if you're too scared to put on a position and you're too afraid uh, of losing money, doesn't do you, you're, you're, you have no future as a stock trader, but you still, have to know how the stock market works because there are trillions and trillions of dollars there. Right. And whether you care to admit it or not, they affect you. Mm -hmm. so. so let's let's switch a little bit. Talk to me about your interest in writing screenplays and in, in your ah! screenplays. I did it as a uh, right brain exercise back yeah. uh, 19. I was breaking up with my business partner and I signed up for a uh, screenwriting class from the Gotham Writers Workshop. In mm -hmm. I lived in Greenwich Village at the time, and um, they actually held the, the classes on Monday nights at my kid's school in the West Village at Village Community School. And uh, I loved it. I was with a group of like you know, 25 people. We would go out for beers afterwards. We're all just, you know, trying to write stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote a couple of screenplays then, and then I turned to marketing them, and I'm like, man, how am I going to do this? You know, I'm 40 years old. I'm in New York City. I got three kids under the age of 10 and I'm paying for private school and this and that. And I need to start a new business because I'm fighting with my business partner. I just don't have the wherewithal to do it. And then I put it away and around 2013, I had a dream and I wrote the script kind of based. I had a dream of a 16 year old boy riding a roller coaster mm -hmm. and I wrote my second complete screenplay and I entered it into the contest called the Nickel. Uh, which is run by the Oscars. And I made the quarterfinals uh, in the nickel. And I'm like, and then I sent it out to some people that my wife knows who are like big Hollywood muckety mucks. And they're like, yeah, a kid can write, you know? But writing it and then marketing it are two different <laughs> animals. <laughs> I had a few few people who, who um, you know, nickel publishes all the screenplays. And I had a few people 
asked for it and read it. And it's like, yeah, nice, but not my thing. Yeah. So um, I love it because I use story in business all the time. Mm-hmm. People, people create pitch decks, right? You want to go out and raise money, right? I was working with somebody recently on that. Uh, and their pitch deck was awful. Yeah. I said, the pitch deck is a movie. Think about the fundamentals of a movie. I got to know the genre within 30 seconds of watching this movie. You cannot make the genre a mystery. Right. Is it a drama? Is it a horror? I got to know from the get-go. doesn't mean you can't pivot if you're doing one of those kind of things, but got to know that. I got to grab them. I got to hook them with that at the get-go. I got to get I got to get to my inciting incident relatively quickly. There's a, there's a penchant now in Hollywood, if you analyze movies that I do, to mm-hmm. rush to do that, where I have more of a European bend, where I can take my time. I can take 20 pages to get to that inciting incident. Um, and then it's the second act that trips everybody up. If a, if a, if a, if a script is going to fail, it's going to fail in the second act. So it's the same thing with your pitch deck. Mm-hmm. Hook them at the beginning. No mystery. What is your, our, our new widget solves this problem, right? Slide number one. Mm-hmm. But I see people with all this informational stuff on slide one. It's like, ah, ah, no, don't care about that. If you don't hook me at the get-go to have interest, I'm not going to care about any of that other crap. Right. right. It's the same thing when you watch a movie. If you don't hook me in at the beginning and reel me in, I'll change the channel, right? If you're watching it on TV. Um, or I'll, you know, I've only walked out of two movies in my life, but so I know people who do, who walk out, who go a half an hour and say, no, I'll never get this time back. <laughs> oh, I love it. Awesome. Yeah. So with, with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? Um, I mean, I've received a lot of advice over there. I think if I were... I go back and catalog it. Um, and, and some of this is going to sound a little bit self-serving, but it doesn't make it untrue. Um, surround yourself with as many smart people as you can, right? I think it was Bill Gates who said that. Mm-hmm. If you can find people that are smarter than you, and there's a lot of them out there, find them, work with them, be nice to them, leverage their intellect, leverage their experience, right? I joined a group called EO back in 98. Uh, it was called YEO at the time, uh, Young Entrepreneurs Organization. And I just had my meeting last night with the guys via Zoom. We've been meeting together for 22 years, once a month, in person, up until, until COVID. This is a super smart group of guys who have given me unbelievable, um, we don't give advice, we share experience. That's, that's, that's the gestalt. Yeah. Uh, they will not sugarcoat it. They'll say, Henry, you're living in a fool's paradise. Wake up <laughs> in a nice way, yeah. right? You need that. Now, we, we, we all do it for free. I mean, this, we were all part of a group that we paid money for, but none of us are in the group anymore. 22 <laughs> years later, yet we still have our group together. And uh, yeah, they, nobody has even the slightest qualms about calling each other out. And we didn't know each other when we started. We were all complete strangers. Right, so you have to be careful with who you're dealing with because if you try to leverage friends and family and stuff, everybody has an agenda. Yeah. So as a business coach, when I coach people, my job is to make you successful, right? Mm-hmm. I often say, if you're successful, you're gonna tell other people and I will never have to spend a nickel on marketing. 
people will just come to me on the referral. That is it. I don't have any skin in the game. I just want you to be successful. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. A whole bunch of brains is better than your brains sitting in front of a computer. I'm sorry. It just is. <laughs> right. Love it. Well, Henry, this has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. I really appreciate your time. If the listeners would like to get your book, follow you online, where is the best places they can go to do that? Uh, you can go to actually www.henrydass, D-A-A-S, um, although I have D-A-S-S because people misspell my name. So <laughs> I have that URL as well. Belts and braces, right? Oh, once an engineer, always an engineer. Mm -hmm. That's like my aggregation site. So that has all my business stuff and has my wife's businesses and it has my screenplays. You can actually go down the rabbit hole and read the first 10 pages of a whole bunch of my screenplays. Um, I think you can even read the full of one of them. Um, not the nickel one, but another one. And yeah. um, so that's that. But then my main business site is dasknowledge, D-A-A-S knowledge.com. Okay. Um, as I mentioned to you before, uh, if you go to podcast.dasknowledge.com, you can sign up for a week, uh, not a week, a month, one free month of coaching. We can talk about money. We can talk about entrepreneurship. We could even talk about screenplays now that you brought it up. And I would love <laughs> to talk about that. Or we could talk about a combination of both, right? It's, I'm, I'm happy to, to talk to people all the time. It's what I do. All right, awesome. Well, Henry, thank you so much. I will I will put those links in the show notes so people can click right through and sign awesome. up for free coaching, see what you're up to, get your book, all that all that jazz. Fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. Well, again, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.